0: Hello there and welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, Suicide Prevention and How It's Everybody's Business, presented by Lee A. Raposa. Remember, your feedback is important to us, so please fill out the survey in the description down below for your chance to win a $100 gift card. Thank you.
1: pleased to welcome you to the RISAS Fall Webinar Series, focusing on youth mental health, trauma, and the unique role that parents, educators, and communities play in fostering resilience in youth. This series is brought to you by Rhode Island Student Assistance Services with funding from the Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Sarah Dinklage, the CEO of Rhode Island Student Assistance Services, and I thank you for joining this learning experience on suicide prevention and what parents need to know to keep their children safe. Located below this video, you will see a description box with links to our website and Facebook page where we will let you know when more content like this will be released. In addition, please don't forget to complete the post-survey so we can get your input on topics for future webinars. We used the feedback you gave us in the spring to develop the topics for the fall series. But also, by completing the survey, you will have the ability to receive a certificate of completion and a chance to win a $100 gift card. We are extremely fortunate to bring you two outstanding experts in the field of prevention. Kathy Sullivan has been a community prevention coalition leader in Rhode Island for over 17 years and with RISAS since 2015. Kathy has been recognized locally and nationally for her role in developing innovative prevention programming in Rhode Island. Lee Raposa is a licensed independent clinical social worker and has been with RISAS and the Rhode Island Youth Suicide Prevention Program since the fall of 2009. As part of her work, Lee trains and educates adults and youth throughout Rhode Island on the warning signs for suicide, risk, and protective factors and how to get a young person connected to health. Thank you again for your interest in this very timely topic. I will now turn it over to Lee.
0: Thank you so much sarah uh, i'm really grateful to be here this evening and uh, can't wait to learn more from some of the folks that are actually in our audience as far as participants it's Google we're going to learn uh, a lot also from uh, my colleague kathy sullivan so without further ado we are going to talk about suicide prevention and how it's everyone's business uh, this is suicide prevention month for those of you who might not know that it's actually suicide prevention week right now so it's Uh, really timely that we're having this discussion and conversation. And what I'd like to do is just kind of set some expectations. If you have questions along the way, we really endorse something called active learning theory or adult learning theory, where if you have a question, typically somebody else is probably thinking the same thing and and might not be able to move on with your learning about what we're talking about tonight until you ask that question. So in other words, we're just saying, please don't feel like you have to hold your questions till the end. Uh, I would actually encourage folks that rather than just using the chat to ask questions of both of us, that you actually just unmute your microphone and just ask the question, you know, um, appropriately if, you know, there's a pause or if you feel as though you want to raise your hand in the reactions area. And we will pause and actually answer your question as much as we can. If there is something that you ask that maybe we don't have the information at hand, we will get back to you. And in that case, you can always put your email address or contact information right in the chat and Jacob will make sure that we capture that and get back to you. So for those of you who have not had this training before, it's a brief intervention training and we focus on something called QPR, which is question, persuade and refer. It's a very similar model to CPR where you don't need to necessarily have a medical degree in order to have the opportunity or use the intervention, life-saving intervention. So someone is learning how to question a young person if they're thinking about suicide, persuading them to get help with us as their helping team. And I'm going to use my hands because I'm Italian and that's kind of how I communicate. And then we're gonna learn how to refer. So that could be whether you're at home or you're in the community or you're in a school setting. Uh, who you're going to refer to and who's on that helping team for you to get help for that young person. We've done some brief introductions. We're going to talk about self-care and the importance of self-care, the scope of the problem. So there are a number of individuals that will come to me and say, you know, is suicide really an issue with young people or with adults? And what does that look like in Rhode Island and nationally? So we're going to kind of talk about that. What is QPR? So we're going to actually not only talk about questioning, persuading, and referring, but what that entails as far as uh, our role as gatekeepers in a young person's life. Myths and facts about suicide. So there's a lot of myths and facts, myths specifically that might be pushed out by the media and we wanna debunk those with facts. Situational and behavioral warning signs. So there might be uh, cues that a young person might be giving, might be situational, behavioral, there might be warning signs, we're gonna cover those. The interview question. So you might not be, you might be a parent or community member uh, or someone who is working with youth in some capacity as an educator or beyond. And you might be the person that is empowered to ask the question directly of a young person, or you might be someone that's going to be referring the young person for help. So we're going to want to talk about that process. And then who you're going to call, meaning your resources both in a school community, in your community, at home, and then beyond. So, what's your self-care? So, I probably should have introduced this topic with the fact that we are going to be an interactive audience today. Because of the platform that we're on, I might not necessarily be able to see you, but my colleague is going to be able to answer any questions or, or see uh, you talking on the on the Zoom platform. So if people could just kind of say or point in the chat what your self-care is, it could be, and I, I usually ask parents or anybody on the training to go beyond nutrition, hydration, and basic hygiene. What are some of the things you do for self-care? And Kathy, could you help me with what people might bring in the
2: chat? Absolutely. So Jennifer said, oh, there's a lot coming in quickly. Thank you, everybody. So Stacy's saying traveling. Jennifer is saying cleaning, listen to music. Uh, Elizabeth says she works out as self-care. Um, and Morgan says plants. Penny says being with her dog. Um, Ainsley, friends and family. I would agree, friends and family. Um,
0: Great. Uh, so for the person that said plants, I I feel like I need to be in. Uh, sometimes I feel like there might be an intervention that's needed. I love plants, but plants are definitely. A self-care strategy for a lot of people. I have 24 plants, house plants, right now, uh, and only two dogs. So I'd rather actually sometimes have more dogs than plants. But I'm so glad that people shared what your strategies are. Yeah. For
2: self- so what- there's also music, gardening, funny old TV shows, lots, of, and avoiding the news, comedies, yeah. dancing to funky music, perfect stuff. Awesome. So what do people notice about what happens if you stop doing self-care, or if you
0: not actively neglect self-care, but you're not using your self-care
2: strategies as much as you normally do. What do you notice? So what we're getting is some people feel a little bit more poopy, stressors pile up, irritable, um, stress, more stress. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are some of the responses that we're getting.
0: Yeah. Irritable. Less patient, irritable.
2: Overwhelmed.
0: Overwhelmed, absolutely. Stress, for sure. We are modeling self-care for the young people in our lives, whether it's our children or you know, youth that we work with, or even our, our colleagues or everything that we learned tonight or this afternoon or this evening whenever you're watching the, uh, the training is transferable to the other areas of your life. So we are just not as effective when we're not activating or actively using our self-care strategies or our coping skills. Uh, And the people around us actually notice that. And a lot of times people are modeling from us whether or not we're sleeping enough, if we're walking our pets, if we're gardening, if we're doing things that we love to do. I actually mentioned, you know, when we're offline prior to starting the uh, webinar this evening, that my new thing is that we're actually harvesting all the garden vegetables that we've had, you know, since we planted in early May. And I love cooking with them every night. So I've noticed that, you know, sometimes I'm not like, as interested in doing that, but I know that when I do, I feel so much better. Uh, the other piece about self-care is that if you do have pets, maybe cats, dogs, goldfish, even maybe a neighborhood animal that just kind of visits your, your yard every day, that you just kind of take care of. Um, one of the things that people have said to us over the years is that they notice that their animals communicate with them non-verbally. So your animal, your dog, your cat, might do something like bark persistently if they need something. It might mean that they want to treat, or they want to play, or they want to go out, or they just have a need that needs to be met. And has anyone ever noticed with your animal that if you don't meet that need, they do something to advocate for that need? Is that kind an example of what they might do? So if you kind of don't pay attention to what they're doing, that paw or that nudge, what do they end up doing?
3: Do you want examples? Yeah, examples. So my cat Puma, he has different voices, and then the, he uses the high-pitched one, kind of like he's trying to go operatic. And that definitely always, because it's not his low rumble, it's not the, it's the one that he, he means it. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> great example. I love it. I love this set operatic. Yeah, and so um, what, what does that mean? For Vuma, for what does that
3: mean? It means um, it's it's happened more lately in his life as he's gotten older. He's a, an older man now. And um, it usually means that he's not quite happy with the wet food that was put into his bowl. But lately it also means, um, get over here now, now! Because I think he's realized because I respond more readily to the high pitched, because I it feels like more like an emergency sound, because mm-hmm. it's new. So I think,
0: oh, he's got me, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, so, so our, our pets advocate for needs that they have uh, without using words. And so I use that analogy with there are people in our lives or young people in our lives that might not have the words to say, you know what, I'm really kind of over the wet food with the, whatever you're serving tonight and I would like something else. Or they are actually using their behaviors to advocate for a need that they have. And so... Whenever I'm, you know, working with a faculty member and they say, you know, this student is really struggling and their, you know, their behavior has been doing this, this, and this, and everyone kind of knows that I end up saying, well, what is that student trying to tell us? And then we kind of take a step back and what is your child trying to tell us as far as what their behavior is right now? They might not have the words to say that they're struggling or that they're depressed or that they're very anxious or, uh, you know, that they really don't know how to manage the kind of emotions that they have inside so they just shut down so that's why i use the example of our cuts because our kids and people in our lives do the exact same thing so this is suicide prevention month and this is suicide prevention week so i thought it would be really helpful to just kind of highlight some social media campaigns that are out there uh you might see something from the national suicide prevention lifeline which is hashtag be the one too. this is a platform or a campaign that has taught us how to ask someone if they're thinking about suicide, how to keep someone safe, how to be there, help someone connect. And then the really powerful piece is the follow-up. So if we connect someone with care, we call a hotline, we get someone connected with counseling. We really want to make sure that we follow up uh, just to make sure that that connection has been helpful. And maybe there's been a disconnection and we want to reconnect them. We also have hashtag stop suicide, which is the uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention—that's actually their campaign, Be the Voice. And we also have hashtag Be Here Tomorrow. We have the Trevor Project, the Jason Foundation. There's a number of different awareness campaigns out there, but I just wanted to make people aware that they are out there. And for those of you who you know maybe grew up 30, 40 years ago, we used to use bumper stickers and magnets on our fridges, our refrigerators, and that was how we kind of pushed out information that we were uh, really passionate about. And now it's really social media platforms that are our digital footprint. Where do we go if we are survivors? survivor? So survivors are, are folks that have had a loss in their lives. Either they have someone in their life who's an attempt survivor or also someone who might be a loss survivor. So a loss survivor is if somebody in your community or in your family or in your personal life or colleague has actually died by suicide. And then we also have attempt survivors who are those who have attempted suicide and have gone on to share their story of hope and recovery. And we also have international survivors of Lost Day, so since Lost Day, which is in November, and I believe this year is November 20th. So I would definitely recommend to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention website, which has a lot of great information to support survivors. So this is a slide that we've been using for a number of years, which I just think is really helpful. A lot of times visuals can depict uh, scenarios that we might not, otherwise really be familiar with. So I use this slide with educators. So this might be a social norm classroom. There might be the thing students in a classroom, timely since a lot of students started yesterday. And if there's an educator in the room, a teacher in the room, or teacher's aide, believe it or not, they're going to have, you know, one, two, three, four, five, they might have six students who have either started to use substances or misused substances. They might also have students who are coming from families who are substance abusing or misusing. They also might have students who are in throes of chemical dependency, which means they might be experiencing addiction, withdrawal. They might also have students who, I've started to use the term, are empaths, which are folks that are just so in tune with their peers or someone in their life that is really struggling that it's really hard for them to concentrate and learn because they're so concerned or worried about that person. So we call them affected others. We might also have students in the class who are depressed, might be undiagnosed or diagnosed. We might have students or young people in our lives who are experiencing eating disorders. Uh, We might be undiagnosed or diagnosed. And then we also might have young people in our lives who have experienced trauma. And then as you can probably see, and actually will get to your question for sure, we might have students who have compounded, we call them risk factors or life experiences or lived experiences with some of these things. And their brains are just not fully developed enough yet to cope with some of those life stressors or risk factors that they're
4: experiencing.
3: Astrid, did you have a question? I did, Well, an observation, this is so akin to uh, intersectionality when we're talking about social justice issues that... You know, in truth, people are not one thing, but we're multifaceted, multidimensional beings with uh, multidimensional experiences. Uh, So it's great to see this image. Thank you for sharing that. And actually,
0: one of the things that someone pointed out a few months ago when I was doing a training is that they asked why the students with a lot of risk factors and lived experience with some of these issues were in the back row. Mm. And I did not have an answer to that. (laughs) But it was very, it was an interesting observation. Does anyone else have anything, you know, especially the educators that might be participating tonight or today, did you have anything that stands out to you as far as this? So these are just opportunities to get these students connected, but they're definitely in our lives and in our buildings. So the scope of the problem, I just wanted to talk about adolescence. So suicide is the second leading cause of death for young people that are uh, you know, 12 to 24. Number one is motor vehicle accidents, uh, but suicide as far as college campus uh, students enrolled, it's actually the second leading cause of death as well. Uh, so that was actually something that came up today when I was talking to a parent who was really worried about their child who decided that they weren't ready to go to college. Um, they were supposed to, and now they're isolating in their room and they miss their peers and they feel like they're missing out. Uh, so we talked about you know whether or not that was normal for that their student or their child. or And it turns out that it really has to do with the stressor. They were worried about actually launching into going off to college. And um, so we talked about connecting that with counseling and, and doing a depression screening. But the scope of the problem is that our, our young people, especially in the spring, so I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, have a lot of stressors. So you might have those stressors yourself Uh, But a lot of people say, you know, why is springtime such a high time of year for suicide or suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts? Uh, Our young people have academic stress, social stress, uh, athletic stress. Uh, They might be transitioning from high school to college or high school to military or high school to workforce. And that, you know, they might be losing their safety net or all the connectedness. So a lot of times we've been interviewing folks who have attempted suicide over the years and we found that lack of connectedness or an interruption in connectedness can actually be a huge risk factor for folks. Uh, so We wanna make sure that we're noticing when young people in our lives are becoming disconnected and then we as gatekeepers are empowered to reconnect them with their natural connections. So in Rhode Island specifically, there's something called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. So there's a survey that goes out to middle school students and high school students. Uh, Let's say there's a class of 25 students, six middle school students and seven high school students actually said, yes, I've been sad or hopeless for two or more weeks. And I've actually stopped doing some of the stuff that I really like to do. And then 18% of students, middle schoolers, have actually considered suicide in the last 12 months. 16% of high school students considered suicide within the last 12 months. So these are students who are being very open and honest with us throughout the survey. I will say that springtime is definitely, like I said before, the time of year that we really uh, were concerned about students. But I also say anytime that there's a transition. So now going off into school, new school year, this is an opportunity to make sure that your child or your student is connected with some sort of uh, either educator, peers, You know, athletics, arts, uh, and then anything in the community that might be helpful for them. So what is a gatekeeper? So everybody in this webinar today, thank you. You are a gatekeeper. So what that means is that you are empowered to notice if a young person is becoming disconnected in the world and to have a voice in supporting them for becoming reconnected. So that could be your parent, your family member, your sibling, a sibling. You're an employer, uh, there's teachers. So what I, would, what I would ask is that who are the other gatekeepers that are in young people's lives? And why don't we talk about the school first? So definitely teachers. Uh, who are the other people that can be the eyes and ears for uh, a young person or your student and your child
1: in school?
5: Anybody. Yeah. Anybody. I mean, it depends on the school, but I mean, our custodians are very involved with kids. The lunch ladies, um, you know, the secretaries, everybody is pretty involved to one degree or another and form relationships with different kids within the school. Yeah.
2: And that's what we're seeing. Coaches, lunch ladies, friends.
5: Exactly. Uh, So so, I'm so glad that you mentioned all of those different
0: folks. I will just add one other uh, role, which is bus monitors and transportation folks, which are bus drivers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, in some of the districts in Rhode Island, we actually do trainings for them as well. But yes, they're all the eyes and ears, and everybody 180 days a year have eyes on these students, and they know them, and they know their families, and often they live in the community. So who are the gatekeepers, both virtually and in person, that uh, could be in a young person's life when they're leaving school or they're not in school. Maybe it's after school, weekends, breaks, summer.
5: We see a lot with the um, other students. They may hear about, you know, they may notice something on social media or they've been talking to their friend or their friend who knows somebody told them. And so we get a lot of, you know, information that way. Yeah. Peer reports. Kids. Cause they get scared. They get worried. They hear things and they, um, they report it.
0: And that's great. And so that's actually a testament to some of the curriculum that students have been getting over the years, which is not to keep the secret. We want them to acknowledge the friend is struggling, show care and concern and tell a trusted adult. So act. That's a great example. Yes. Kids get really scared about their friends and they don't want to keep it to themselves because they're, they're worried.
5: And, um, I know that this has to do with outside of school, but when we were on like distance learning or if we had days where, you know, teachers are doing stuff online with kids um, or anything, sometimes it was after hours, even they like, especially because we have Go Guardian where they can see the kids screens and everything. We have some really alert teachers and other school staff who would say, oh, I see a kid who put this on, you know, whatever the social media site was and they would notice it. And, you know, half the time we'd be able to get like a screenshot or something of it. And then we'd be able to follow up, call the home, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just it's amazing how things come up in so many different ways. Yeah.
0: And that's that's exactly how we have
4: reporting now is not just, you know, observing things, but observing things online. And can I just add, I know, too, um, in the schools, like teachers have been able to intercept like notes that are passed amongst Mm -hmm. uh, students. And a lot of times they'll alert me because, you know, they read the notes, obviously, and then it's something concerning in the way of mental health. And they'll let me know. Um, Sometimes I've had parents who were concerned at home and may call just to say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. Can you check in on them for me? So That's great.
5: Yeah, we had a lot of that last year. Parents would be calling up and saying, I'm really concerned because their child was acting differently. They may not have felt like getting out of bed, just, you know, they've been exhibiting um, signs of depression um, or just lethargic, etc. And the parents will contact the school and say, I need to talk to a counselor about this and see what can be done. And that's, you know, we did quite a few of those too.
0: And you're not alone. Uh, we have reports of that all over the state in that it turns out that our parents, or families were actually on the front line and they were the first responders. And that's why you were getting so many of those calls because normally they have you or, or last year they had you, you know, on the front lines in school, but they became the first responders. So some of the myths and facts about suicide. So if you ask a young person if they think they're thinking about suicide, people used to say, oh, now you're just putting the idea in their head. The fact is, is that just asking a young person about suicide lowers their anxiety and it actually starts to open up uh, communication or makes them feel more safe about opening up a conversation and it lowers their risk. Uh, Suicidal kids keep their plans to themselves. That's a myth. What we found is that most suicidal kids communicate their intent sometime between a week to two weeks prior. And that could be something that they're writing in class, you know, a journal entry or something, you know, that they're drawing or something that they start to say to a friend or something they say in counseling or something that they say at home or to a sibling. Most suicidal kids communicate their intent sometime. Oh, sorry. um, Those who talk about suicide don't do it. So this this can be kind of scary, but a lot of times people who talk about suicide are actually at higher risk. And we know that about 90% of people that either attempt or die by suicide have an underlying mental health condition. That could be anything from depression to anxiety. And so we just really, we love people who advocate for themselves. So if people are talking about it, um, I feel like that's a way for them to say, yes, I actually need help. And i need to use their behavior or my words to say I need help. But we definitely don't want to dismiss folks, even if they're, they're saying these types of things often. It can be easy to dismiss and just say, oh, you know what, that's just how he is, or that's how they are or she is. Uh, we really want to pay attention to folks that are constantly talking about suicide. Once a young person decides to commit suicide or attempt suicide, there's nothing we can do to stop them. That is a myth. The fact is that suicide is one of the most preventable forms of death and any positive action or intervention could save a life. Uh, And I just tell young people and and students, my job is to keep you safe today. And that might mean getting somebody else involved to keep you safe, Uh, but I'm invested in your success both here in the building, in the classroom, in the community, and beyond. Our students that are young people who are either questioning or identifying as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, or intersex. These are students who are higher risk for attempting suicide only if they're not having a positive questioning or coming out process somewhere in their lives. So the young person might be having a really supportive experience at home, but not at school and vice versa, or they might be having a great experience a questionnaire questioning or coming out in the community, but not at home or at school. So we really want to make sure that they're having at least one safe and supportive area in their lives where they can um, go through their process. So use suicide clues and warning signs. So this is where whenever we're doing uh, trainings with educators, those in the classroom, we're usually saying, please take everything you say seriously, I mean, everything a student says seriously. And the same for a parent, take everything your young person says seriously, your child says seriously. And you really have that conversation about that's the expectation. I'm going to take everything you say seriously, and here are some examples of what that could be. It could be if you're threatening to kill yourself or someone else, if you have a threat of violence, or if you feel like you're unsafe or you feel like you're being abused. These are all examples of things that I take extremely seriously, and obviously you can build on that. So for educators, I always say you know, if you are noticing that a young person is struggling, please try to sit them down and just say, I'm really concerned about you. This is one of those times where I mean, you know, we're taking what you just said seriously. Uh, we had an example recently where a person said, I'm just going to kill myself. And they said it in class. And the, the teacher said, you know what? This is one of those examples of how we take that seriously. And the student ended up saying, you know what? I'm really frustrated. I didn't know how to use my words. I was just kidding. And this is really what's going on. But just by setting the expectation that we take everything a young person says seriously, is we're sending a message that we are a trusted adult and someone that they can go to about anything. Uh, and I also just tell our educators, if they sense that something's going on with your child or a young person in the classroom, to try to refer to the school support team earlier, like if they see that you know, a young person struggling on Monday and Tuesday after a long weekend, or you know, Tuesday or Wednesday after a long weekend, Uh, rather not holding it to themselves or waiting until the end of the week to try to get that young person help or to be evaluated or seen. So here are some examples of warning signs for suicide. We're threatening to kill somebody else. I'm talking about wanting to kill somebody else or, or themselves. They're looking for ways to kill themselves, meaning that they might be Googling or looking things up online, they might start to talk about or write about death and this could be on, online or in person in school journaling was an example i gave earlier substance use misuse and abuse so what we know is that specifically let's say alcohol alcohol is a stimulant or a depressant so you can write that in the chat alcohol is a stimulant or a depressant so what we know is that alcohol is actually a depressant uh, and so if we have a young person their brains are not fully developed, they're adding alcohol, it's depressant, they might already have uh, depression undiagnosed or diagnosed. And then we also, uh, if they are being treated with medication, SSRI or depressant, the alcohol is actually making that medication not work to its fullest extent. And then we also know, especially with um, young adolescent males, they might be more active might be more likely to do something in the heat of the moment when they're under the influence that uh, they might not do sober so that could mean you know making a suicide attempt or acting reckless or
2: having unsafe
0: behavior
2: oh and, and astra made the point if there's sugar in it there might be you know act as a stimulant effect but then after there's a crash so it comes in the chat be a really good point so some students might say that they feel hopeless for me that's a huge red flag
0: if somebody says i feel hopeless feeling rage or uncontrolled anger. So this is when you start to see changes in someone. So there might be a young person in your life who's just always been angry, always been apathetic. And now all of a sudden they're just happy and just uh, less combative and they're just really easygoing. I worry about young people who have a change like that as well. A young person might start to act reckless or engage in risky behaviors. They might feel trapped in no way out. And so that could mean that they just say like, I don't feel like, there's any windows in my life. I don't feel like there's any way out. I feel like everything's just dark and that I'm invisible. They start to withdraw from friends, family, employment. They stop going to work. They stop going to appointments. They stop playing, you know, even gaming online. They stop doing things with family. They just stay upstairs in their room. And then dramatic mood changes. So this is a warning sign that I talk about. A lot of parents say, well, all of all, out of, all of my own adolescence was a dramatic mood change. Well, everyone just kind of has their own, what I call the roller coaster of emotions. So they might have, you know, they're sad a couple of days a week, then that escalates to three or four days a week. And now we're at five or six days a week where they're sad. Dramatic would be going from one or two days a month to being really sad to now we're at one or two weeks a month and they're really sad. That's dramatic. But you know your own child, you know what their cycles are, whether or not you know, that they just kind of have their own groove that they're normally in as far as their emotions, and now that's starting to change. Behavioral warning signs. Any previous suicide attempt or history of depression for a young person, young person starts to acquire, has access to means, or starts stockpiling pills or medications at home, which Kathy is actually going to talk a little bit more about in the second half of the presentation. If a young person starts giving away prized possessions, so what are examples of things that young people or, or your children would start to give away that you would be really concerned? What are So for me, it would be my pets. What would be examples of something that kids would start to give away that would be a concern?
3: Maybe precious items like maybe an autographed jersey or a gift mm-hmm. that had given them that they wanted to make sure they would only give to someone who they loved very deeply.
2: Yeah, and, and um, adding to that, Jenny said, um, jewelry, CDs, music, toys, collection cards, video games, things that are of value, clothes, special clothes. Yeah.
0: And I would also give the example of if somebody starts to give something back that they've borrowed for a long time and it's just a little odd or it's just not even you know seasonally appropriate. Like if somebody borrows your snowblower and they give it back to you in the summer, something like that. Great examples. Consistent or sad Distress postings on social media, writing assignments, which we talked about earlier, uh, anything that's a self destructive act, unexplained anger, aggression, or irritability. And then the bottom one is chronic truancy or running away. So, from a school perspective, there's a lot that can be told about what might be going on in a young person's life if they're not coming to school. Oftentimes, that can be something going on with the family. Truancy officers always say that. The you know what, we don't just assume that they don't wanna learn, it's usually something going on with the family and it's an opportunity for us to intervene and support and see what we can do to get that child back in school safely uh, or running away. So that might be a young person starts to run away from home. They might not feel safe at home or in their community. Situational clues. So for those of you who are with us and I was just looking at the time, uh, public embarrassment or humiliations. We don't wanna re-traumatize anyone. But you can probably sit back and think of an example of an instance where you felt publicly embarrassed or humiliated when you were in elementary, middle school, or high school. This is an opportunity for when these things happen with our students to support them. Because I think you probably remember that. You might not have been supported, or you might not have had somebody check in with you and say, I know such and such happened to you today at school, and I'm wondering how you're feeling. Um, it must have been a lot for you to you know, have everyone around and see. So that's definitely a situational clue. A family history of incarceration or legal history that could be anything from a divorce is going on, uh, or there's a, a family member that. is going to be briefly incarcerated, or it might be for a long time. Change in school performance. So we're looking for changes in young people's grades or academic performance. That could be from a student who's high achieving, goes from an A to an A-minus, just stops missing assignments, or starts to miss assignments. Uh, Maybe they're just not as present for learning as they normally are. Uh, Any kind of school discipline, maybe they're laid off from a seasonal position and that's where they had a lot of connections as far as their peers. Recent disappointment, any kind of chronic homelessness or disruption of basic needs. And then loss of any major relationship. So can folks just put in the chat some examples of loss for a major relationship or a
2: relationship for a young person? So a breakup, friend moves away, losing a best friend. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What about a little deeper? Moving to another country. Losing a parent, switching schools, death of a loved one, death of a relative, loved one, losing a loved one.
0: Yeah. Deportation, uh, deployment, divorce. Relocation. Mm -hmm. Relocation. And for those of you who are joining us locally in Rhode Island, relocation could actually be really disruptive. Somebody could go from uh, Pawtucket to Cranston, and that's relocation. I'd like to jump down to death or anniversary of a friend or a family member. So we have found that uh, around the anniversary of a young person having a loss, uh, anniversaries are really important to support as far as, you know, some young people might plan a reunification event with that loved one that they lost. So it's just an opportunity to check in. You might not remember the exact day that somebody uh, passed away, but you might remember around the time of year. You know, I remember it was around... The beginning of the school year, this young person had a loss of a parent or a family member, and I just want to check in with them. Any kind of bullying, so we're going to call that trauma or interpersonal violence. Uh, This is a risk factor for suicide. A lot of times these types of events are going on in a young person's life, and maybe the media ends up reporting this is the main reason why a young person was struggling, made an attempt, or died by suicide. But there's often other things going on, and this is an opportunity to intervene early when there starts to be incidences of interpersonal
3: violence. So I think this is really important to kind of... Everything that's happening in the world. I, I think we need to add that to that list. Because mm-hmm. I was just saying earlier, and you may have heard me say this before, when I was little, I thought the adults had it, everything. They had it all done, checked. But I can't imagine any young person thinking now the adults have it all together. And that's gotta be that kind of anxiety that maybe there's not even a name for it for them. But that underlying anxiety, that fear that the adults can't even get along, can't even get together, and that it's about survival. I, I think we need to add that. I don't know what it would be called, kind of a, a world angst or something, but
1: uh,
0: it's
3: real. I mean,
0: think, you know.
3: Yeah, and we might even be,
0: I, I don't, I'm i I'm 46, so I grew up, you know, parents just kind of didn't talk about things in front of the children like they do now. And, we're probably a lot more transparent as a society and as a culture than we used to be and so kids now know what's going on you know not necessarily behind the scenes but they know the reality of financial stress and interpersonal stress and family stress that maybe things were kind of not talked
4: about in front of kids you know previously so that's a really good point Mm -hmm. And just to add to what Astrid just said, which is a great point, just being in this pandemic and being faced with, I think, you know, when younger people, they think we're invincible, we don't die, you know, that mentality. And then to see that death is just, you know, when you put the news on with the pandemic, COVID, vaccinated, unvaccinated, children, adults, elderly, you know, it's just everyone and everyone's affected on like a scale like never before so just having been in this society also with the current events it's just overwhelming so i think a lot of those uh typical risk factors on on that list they're like magnified by like a lot they are
5: like even coming back to school today um normally you know the kids come in but this is It's pretty huge now because this is nothing like they've seen before. Some of these kids haven't been physically in a building for well over a year and a half. And other kids last year were kind of intermittent. And now all of a sudden you have a whole building back together. And then you have all the little sixth graders coming in and their parents were worried because they're not vaccinated. And that trickles down to the kids. Yes. And then they have the normal anxiety of just being, you know, coming into like, especially the sixth grade is, okay, I'm in a new school and things are, I mean, it's just piled upon pile upon pile on these kids right now. Yeah,
0: it really is. And their brains are not equipped. I mean, I would argue that ours are not equipped, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that's where, what I talked about earlier, connectedness is really important as far as all of us talking and being on the same page and, and you're noticing when a child is becoming disconnected or they've just never been connected. And it's like you said, the cafeteria person or the secretary, the front office staff or the classroom teacher or the parent all being at the table and, and surrounding that child. You know, another another aspect of a kid is a rescuer.
3: If that that's their mentality, I'm a rescue, like the hero of the family and they can't help. Imagine now the pressure, the feeling I've let people down because I can't save, you know, that's an additional burden that, you know, kind of like how do they see themselves in the world in the world? If they're a hero, then it's a hard uh, time to be alive.
0: Yeah, we talked about that earlier when I um, said affected others. That's exactly who those students are. They're affected
5: others. Can I just make one comment? You keep using the word noticing and we use the word noticing. um, We have a guy that's come to our school a few times to talk and he uses the word noticing and talking about um in a different way it's like which is also helpful because he says noticing like noticing a child noticing little things about them remembering those things when you talk to them remembering their name when you say hello to them um remembering that you know maybe the day before they had a basketball game and how did they do those little things are the those little noticings are the things that help build the relationship and let the kid know that oh this person cares or or this person, you know, build those connections. And it may seem like little bitty things, but I'm sure to a kid, it, it means a lot.
0: Noticing is definitely being present. Even if it's just something that you have a mutual thing in common, it's not, it's, it's nonverbal. You know, you both, you know, I love Wonder Woman and I love Hello Kitty. And, you know, sometimes I'll wear cute little t-shirts or something and that might be a student that, you know also identifies and that might be their favorite thing. And we just kind of have that connection. Some of the things that I really want to point out is being aware of physical warning signs. So sometimes our body keeps the score. I'm not sure if people have ever read that book or have heard of it, but our bodies actually advocate for emotional needs that might not be being met. So sometimes we may have chronic headaches or chronic tummy aches or fatigue, and it might actually not necessarily be something going on physically, but emotionally. But our bodies are saying, hey, Nobody's paying attention to me, so I'm going to escalate. Um, And a lot of times these are referrals that end up going to the nurse, either in a school or it might be the pediatrician. And there might be a young person who's struggling with sleep, uh, but it might be something going on at home or emotionally that they're struggling with. So I would just say not to dismiss these things and to really pay attention and make sure that you're referring your child either to the pediatrician or to the nurse at the school. And then I did point out visible scarring Anything that might be considered uh, self-harm, that could be you know, cutting or burning or picking, these are not necessarily things that we want to escalate. So we want to intervene early so that they don't continue on to the point where a young person might be uh, at risk for you know, their own safety. So a young person might say either directly or indirectly that they're thinking about death or killing themselves. They might say things like, I wish I was dead, I mean, just end it all. If so-and-so breaks up with me, I'll kill myself. So these are pretty direct. Indirect, things more like, mom, I just can't do this anymore. I just want out. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not going to be here much longer. Pretty soon, you're not going to have to deal with me anymore. I just can't take any more of this. So does everyone agree that either directly or indirectly, we would approach and have a conversation with a young person if they said anything like
2: this yeah we're getting a yes from Stacy Kia said yes yeah there's a number of yeses definitely so as
0: scary as it might sound some of those things uh, the indirect might not has, not necessarily be that somebody's thinking about suicide but they would really benefit from an open-ended question like what do you mean by that what do you what do you want out of what do you not want to deal with anymore and then what's changed for you lately to make you say that and I give the example of today's Thursday so you might have yesterday young person is really happy great first day of school everyone loved their outfit they love their teachers super great to be back everyone has matching masks and now today they're a hot mess. so I usually say what happened for you between yesterday and today to make you where you are right now and then you can open up a conversation. We really wanna encourage people to know what the questions are in order to ask about suicide of a young person or, or an adult. If you don't feel comfortable asking these questions, that's totally okay. We just wanna make sure that you know where you can have somebody that can ask these questions. It might be a pediatrician, it might be a, a friend, it might be uh, a school social worker at the school or a school psychologist, but we want these questions to be asked very directly. Some examples of those questions are, have you thought about going to sleep and not waking up? Have you wished you were dead? Uh, Have you thought about how you might kill yourself? Has there been a time in the last few months where you've attempted suicide or thought about attempting suicide uh, and what happened? Some of the protective factors are, and so I just wanted to back up for a second, that in 13 or 14 districts in Rhode Island, we actually have school personnel that are trained in something called the SBI, which is the Suicide Prevention Initiative. And what that initiative is, is that the school personnel, the support personnel are actually trained in something called the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale, which empowers them to ask six questions. Um, a student that might be referred to them, that the educator or the student themselves are concerned about their safety. And then they ask those six questions. It's very similar to the... Questions that you might be asked when you go to the doctor's office. There's a couple of questions saying, you know, if you had a loss of interest in things over the past couple of weeks, have you felt sad or depressed sometime in the last month? Uh, And students have really been receptive to these questions. And they answer very honestly and they're very directly uh, oriented. Uh, And then from there, they might give a parent a call and say, I'm really concerned. Uh, your student actually answered these questions. They seem like they've been actively suicidal lately, and uh, we'd like to make a referral to get them some help, and then there's a process for that. So I just wanted to let parents especially know that are on the line. You can always email me, and I can let you know which school districts are actually participating in the Suicide Prevention Initiative, but it is expanding to the entire state, so there's districts that can be involved uh, regardless if they're not right now. Protective factors, you, you as a parent, you as an educator, you as somebody that just shows up for a young person every day. Resiliency, a pet, family supports, uh, treatment, a best friend, spiritual connections, uh, a mentor, these are all protective factors. This is advice that young people have said when we said we were going to training the adults that work in their lives, their parents, and community members, and educators, and said, just keep your eyes open just know one thing about us that's different maybe from everyone else, even if it's just our name. Uh, just know, know us. Uh, just be there. Sometimes we're not ready to talk yet, but just knowing that you're just sitting there and that you're present for when we're ready is really helpful. Uh, don't assume it's a phase and we might not talk about it because we're not sure if you're safe yet for us to talk about it. And If you can, just kind of create a narrative or a story that's hopeful hopeful outcome of a story where a young person was struggling and now they're doing better in the world, not perfect because that might not be reality, but they're doing better. This is just some examples of how not to ask the question. Uh, it's just not helpful. It can make somebody feel even worse than what they already feel. We're persuading young people to get help with us. I realize that they're minors, uh, but it's just like anything else. want to be walk through with what the next steps might be in that community help them as far as knowing you know, what's expected. Now we're gonna you know, call your parent or now we're gonna, you know, you're gonna go to an emergency department or even meet with someone who's gonna ask you a few questions. Sometimes I use television references because I, I don't assume that students or young people have had a positive you know, experience or even any experience in a medical environment. Uh, and I just offer hope and try to avoid things like bumper sticker advice, like tomorrow's another day, or this too shall pass. Because to them, that's not personal enough to their situation, I use a lot of we language, we're gonna get you help, we're in this together. And then here are some examples of who you're gonna call, that referral piece, which is definitely 911. If you are ever at a point where absolutely just feel like this is a call for emergency services, uh, especially when it's a young person, they are very well trained in how to respond to crises, especially mental health crises. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you have a veteran in your life, you press one, and it goes right to the veteran crisis center. Uh, we also encourage families and parents and educators to give this, to have this number, either in their phone or at the ready. The Kids Link that's uh, through Bradley Hospital Access Center. Anybody can call that number. You don't need insurance and you can just actually bounce off you know, what's going on and kind of just do a consult and ask somebody, you know, I'm really worried about my child and I don't really know what resources there are or you know, if they would benefit from counseling. And then here's some examples of the people that are trained in the school environment around Rhode Island. This is just a campaign to how to limit the amount of medications that might be in your home. Uh, support your child, and then remove or lock up any kind of lethal means like firearms. And the most important is supporting re-entry. So if you have a young person in your life who has struggled and they've gone out for treatment or counseling or they've gone to the hospital for you know a week or so, I just say it's really important to welcome that, welcome that person back either to the home, to the school, to you know the team, wherever they're coming back to, because they might be really stressed about you know, what people think about their absence or what they experienced, and it's just really important to just kind of, I guess, treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And just, it's so nice to see you. How are you? But I'm glad that you're back. And then lastly, I always encourage people, not only in September, but any month, to like the Lifeline Facebook page, which has really great information every day about how to you know, support someone that might be struggling in your life, whether it's a young person, yourself or beyond. Uh, and then just by liking something, people might see that, and then they might be more inclined to approach you about, oh, I like, looks like you, you know, just started following a lifeline, you the Thanks for watching. You know, if you like this you
3: webinar this and would like to
0: see more like it, please find our social media down below. Also, remember to like, share, and subscribe. And if you would like to enter for your chance to win a $100 gift card, please fill out the survey in the description below. Thank you.